Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. We're going to pick up where we left off. <clears throat> Excuse me. We made it to the book of 2 Samuel. That's like the 16th book we've made it through so far in our Naked Truth readings. So we're making our way through the Bible. It's a weeknight, Saturday, Sunday night, so we're in the Old Testament. We're going to pick up at the book of 2 Samuel at chapter 2. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So once again, like we've read before, this contradicts what we read in the New Testament of people having conversations and interactions with God. So to me, the only way to possibly make sense of it is that it's not God Almighty they're interacting with. It's where it says Lord with all capital letters, L-O-R-D. So far, um, or lately, translates back, the word English word Lord in all caps translates from the word Jehovah in um, Hebrew. Um, that's a specific entity that people were worshiping as their Lord. So, um, that doesn't mean uh, to me that doesn't mean it's god almighty that the people are interacting with it's just that the entity um deity that they're worshiping as their lord that they're calling lord here and as we've said before read before the word in english lord and god translate from many different words throughout the bible especially in the old testament so um just keep that in mind as a footnote just in case it's your first time reading with me um, so other than that, the people we're talking about here, um, the, the person talking about it, we're talking about is reading about is David. It's the same David and Goliath, David. And, um, the events that we're referring to that just happened were, um, the, the, um, seance where he, uh, were not he, but the previous King Saul hired a, a, a medium to perform a seance, that's when you make contact with the dead and use someone with that sort of um, knowledge to do it, to find out this prophecy that the prophet Daniel, I'm sorry, Samuel had given him previously was true. He told Saul that Saul was going to die and that his reign was over and that a replacement had been chosen by God. And I'm saying God because, you know, it's how it reads as God, but like we just said before, God translates back to different deities depending on where you're at in the Bible. Um, and so we saw that come true. Saul's um, uh, experience with the medium came true. He, his sons and him were killed in battle. Uh, well, his sons were killed and then he committed suicide. He had an assisted suicide, as we call it in modern terms, where he got someone to help him die um, and um, take his life rather than suffer and face the consequences of the Philistines finding him still alive and torturing him. So those are the events that we're on the heels of now. And so now David, it, it's, it seems, is knows he's next in line to rule over the people. And many of the people have already treated him as if he was king, following him when he was in exile. Verse 2, so David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. So like I've said before, that blows the whole Bible-thumping theory that marriage, according to the Bible, is supposed to be one man and one woman. No, that's not the case at all. 
here you see David has a couple of wives and his son's going to have many, many, many times more wives than that, not to mention side pieces, prostitutes, and so forth that um, were the rule of the day back in the biblical times that a man could have as many of those all of the above as he wanted to as long as he could afford them and as long as they didn't belong to someone else. Uh, the woman didn't have that same right, but the men did. Um, verse 3, and David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. So Hebron is the area that, the, that they're dwelling in, and the people he brought with him were those 600 men and their families who uh, were in exile with him, sought asylum with him from the Philistines um, of all people. Verse 4, then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, the men of Jabesh Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So um, Judah is his family uh, clan, that be David's, and they're anointing him king over them. So they're taking one of their own and making him king over that specific tribe of the group of the children of Israel. Judah's just one of the tribes, but it's one of the largest of the tribes and has one of the largest areas uh, that they occupy. Uh, so they made him king over them. Uh, verse 5, so David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, You're blessed of the Lord, for you've shown kind this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. So again, uh, David's acting very soft-hearted toward the person who was hunting him, because that's what Saul's been doing for quite a few of the last few chapters, hunting him down, causing him to be on the run, him and the 600 men and their families who joined him. But now Saul was killed, like I said, with the prophecy of the medium coming true, the vision that the medium, uh, or at least the oracle, I guess it would be that the medium saw and delivered to him coming true. Um, but still, David acts very reverent toward Saul uh, because he was the anointed king, first king of the Israelites of all the tribes, not just Judah, but all the tribes of Israel. So David seems to be giving him that same respect, but also because he was married to Jonathan, I'm sorry, married to Saul's daughter, Michael, and also involved with Saul's son, Jonathan. Um, verse six, and now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness because you've done this thing. So David is basically telling the people of that area, Jabesh Gilead, that because they were respectful to the now deceased dead king, Saul, he's going to um, reward them for that. Verse 7, now therefore let your hands be strengthened and be valiant for your master Saul is dead. And, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So he's letting them know you did a good job burying the old king, but there's news. He's the new king now. His own tribe, the tribe of Judah, has made him king now. So he's basically letting them know Good job being loyal to the old regime. Now there's a new leader. Verse 8, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. So Saul's sons, the one that David was involved with, Jonathan, and it was either two or three other of his sons were killed um, by the Philistines in the previous battle. But one son, Ishbosheth, was able to escape the slaughter. Um, and that's the one that Abner, the sort of general of the army of the Israelites, um, sort of rescued from the killing. Verse 9, And he made him king over Gilead, 
over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. So Abner has taken upon himself, rather than show uh, join forces with king, the now anointed King David and the house of Judah, he's decided to instead take one of the descendants of the old regime, Saul, Saul's son, one of Saul's kin, Ishbosheth, and anoint him, or basically name him king over the rest of the tribes. And then it's named off a few of those other ones that have aligned themselves with that plan. Um, let's see. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, verse 10, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. So it's letting us know that of all the tribes, and there's 12 or so, uh, only one has aligned themselves with David, that be his family tribe of Judah. The rest of the tribes have just, have um, aligned themselves with as the um, with Ishbosheth, the new king of Israel, so that be over all of the tribes. Um, verse 11, and the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So it's letting us know retrospectively this isn't happening, it isn't being written as it happened. It's clearly being written looking back on the events that that's how long David was king over the singular house of Judah, those seven years. Verse 12, now Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. So now um, Abner and Ishbosheth are on the move. Verse 13, and Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David, went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. So now the two sort of, they're not really opposing armies, except that they're making themselves opposition to each other because truly they're all Israelites, but they have that division among them. And, and they've sort of aligned themselves on separate sides of a pool. Verse 14, and Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, let them arise. So this thing I remember now isn't going to make a whole lot of sense the way it reads, but I guess none of the barbaric things that generally men do to wage war over the, over history doesn't make much sense anyway. Uh, so this, this isn't going to make much sense either, but that's what they decided to do. They've lined up against each other and decided that they're going to compete with each other. Um, it's, like I said, it's barbaric, sort of like the gladiator type things, uh, if I remember right. Let's see. Um, verse 15. So they arose and went over by number 12 from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 from the servants of David. So now they've aligned a dozen of each on, from each side up to compete with each other. And notice it's not the leaders competing with each other. They want to see the battle, so they force the other people to do it. So it's just like I was reading pre-work we were reading previously. The people who were oppressed are now becoming the oppressors. Now that they were powerless, now that they've got power, they're wielding it over the powerless and um, flexing basically their power now that they've got it. But it's the same wickedness. It's the same evil. Um, it's the same thing they were complaining about when they were the ones being forced to fight in wars while the elite sat back. But um, let's keep reading and see how it goes. 
Verse 16, and each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called the field of sharp swords, which is in Gibeon. So what sense does that make? What kind of competition is that? It's not a competition at all. It's barbarous. You're not competing. You're not running. You're not playing a ball at anything. Uh, you're not swimming. You're just grabbing each other by the head and stabbing each other and dying together. They call that a competition. Um, that's the way, the way it reads. And that's what they just did. And they named the area of the field of sharp swords to commemorate it. What sense does that make? But again, that's basically what war is over time anyway. Just killing each other. For Verse 17. So there was a very fierce battle that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. So I'm not sure how they were beaten. It just says that they both grab, they grab each other by the hair and stab each other in the side and both fall down dead together. So I'm not sure how you win a competition like that. But according to the narrative, the um, Israelites under Abner um, fell to the Israelites who were following David. Verse 18, now the three sons of Zariah were there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet as as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. So it's basically saying that one of those sons of Joab, the one of the army commanders, is um uh fast on his feet. Um so he's kind of agile. Let's see how that plays out. Verse 19. So Asahel pursued Abner and in going, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. So he's really fast. He's a fast runner and he's chasing Abner down even though they just had that whole competition, quote unquote, in the field of swords. But it seems Abner is fleeing and being chased by, um, or at least followed by Asahel, one of the opposing army's um, cadets, I guess it is. Verse 20, and then Abner looked behind him and said, are you Asahel? He answered, I am. So now Abner is aware that he's being followed as he's leaving. And he asks um, if it is who he thinks it is. And the, it is who he thinks it is. It is Asahel. And he answers, yes, it is. Verse 21, and Abner said to him, turn aside to your right hand or to your left and lay hold of one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So I guess these are strange rules of war, rules of engagement when it comes to war, that you want to arm your um, opponent it, it doesn't make sense where we've read it before um, and doesn't make sense here now. If he knows someone's chasing him down to fight him and probably take his life, what sense does it make for him to tell the person, oh, make sure you go get some armor for yourself um, so that you can be protected in the battle? That's basically what he's telling him to go uh, protect himself um, rather than just chase him uh, without that um, sort of armor on. But his opponent, the one chasing him, um, wouldn't listen. Asahel is hard-headed. Verse 22, so Abner said again to Asahel, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? So Abner, who's, I guess I missed that part, Joab and Abner are on the same side. So why is it that um, Asahel, one of Joab's sons, is chasing him? Um, I miss that. I don't quite get that. But Abner doesn't understand why Asahel would be chasing him 
without any armor and unwilling to go get some if he is going to chase him. But he's telling him, he's warning him again, that if he doesn't stop chasing him, he's going to go ahead and kill him. But if he kills him, he fears uh, what's going to happen when he has to tell his brother, someone he's aligned with, Joab. Um, you know, now that I think about it, I don't think Joab is aligned with him. Joab is aligned with David, if I remember right. Let me just go up real quick and see. Um, oh, that's right. I was wrong. So, okay. So Joab is aligned with David's forces. Abner is aligned with um, um, the Israelite, the other tribe's forces. So he's warning him again to turn back. Verse 23, however, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear so that the spear came out of his back and he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, stood still. So um, rather than strike him with the point of the spear, he just struck him with the butt of the staff uh, with, of the spear. And that was enough to pass through Asahel and kill him. And it's saying that at the spot where he was killed, everyone would gather there and see that spot. Uh, I guess the same way people walk, watch a train wreck or all kinds of craziness, craziness that happens now. Um, people stand around and look at it. Um, verse 24, Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. And the sun was going down when they came to the hill of, of Amma, which is before Gaia, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. So um, Joab is also in pursuit of Abner. Um, that would be Asahel's father. And Abishai, one of the brothers, are also pursuing him. And they've made it to another area. Verse 25, now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit and took their stand on top of a hill. So Abner's not all on his on his own. He's got other Israelites of the different tribes that he's aligned with uh, standing up for him, basically uh, as a wall of protection for him, or at least aligning themselves with him. Verse 26, then Abner called to Joab and said, shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be then? until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren. So Abner is saying, how long is the civil war going to last? If, if, are they just going to keep killing each other? And he's sort of imploring Joab to go back and tell his people that enough is enough. Stop killing each other. Verse 27, and Joab said, as God lives, unless you have spoken, surely then by morning, all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. So, um, I'm not sure what, how, uh, I don't know what he's trying to say there. It seems like what he's saying is that um, unless Abner had basically declared a truce or saying enough was enough, then um, even, uh, even if he hadn't done that, by morning everybody would have given up anyway. It sounds like that's what he's saying. They would have stopped pursuing them by morning anyway. But he said unless he had spoken that. Um, so that doesn't really make sense what he's saying. Um, but it seems to be saying that it's okay, enough is enough, and they're calling it quits on chasing him. Verse 28, so Joab blew a trumpet, and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. So they've declared a truce. They aren't fighting, chasing anymore. Enough is enough with the civil war between them. Verse 29, and Abner and his men went 
on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan and went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanaim. So Abner um, got away from Joab, called it a day with each other. They left each other alone, and Abner's gone on his way back to Mahanaim. Verse 30, so, so Joab returned from pursuing Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, they were missing of David's servants, 19 men, and Asahel. So now that they've gotten back to camp, Joab is seeing that of all of their forces, 19 are gone and his son Asahel. Verse 31, but the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and, and Abner's men, 360 men who died. So um, it's the narrative here is that David and his men were more um, successful, if you want to call it that, in killing their brethren um, in the battle that they had. Um, 19 of David's forces died, but hundreds, 360 of Abner's forces died. And again, I'm not sure how that happened if it said that they take each other by the hair and stab each other in the side. And it sounded like they do it simultaneously and fall down together. So I'm not sure how it ends up out. I don't understand how that, how the numbers end up that uh, warped, but um, that's how it reads. Verse 32. Then they took up Asahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. So I must have read, misread something. I thought that it said Asahel was Joab's son. So let me go back up and read. Um, let's see. So I don't want to mislead you, and I don't want to be confused myself. Let's see. Early on in this chapter, let's see. Um, where is it? Okay, here we go. Now the three sons of Zariah. That was it. Okay, so they're not Joab's sons. It's someone else, Zariah. That's, um, if I remember right, a relative of Saul or either David. Um, I don't quite remember. You could search it yourself. But we see here, that's who I saw was. He was the son of Zariah. And I seem to recall that is a relative of David, not of, um, not of Joab. So that would make sense. I'm sorry. Yeah, not of Joab. So that would make sense that he was on David's side. Um, Whoever he was, he's now dead in the battle. They've decided to stop fighting each other. And um, they took his body and buried it in um, um, in the tomb of his father, uh, Zariah. Um, and it says it's in Bethlehem. That's the same Bethlehem and the nativity story of the Bible, uh, you know, surrounding Jesus. And um, then Joab and his men, his forces, uh, went all night and they made it back to Hebron. That's um, basically in Judah where David's stronghold is. Um, so that ended the battles between the two sides for this chapter. And that verse ended this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. Stay safe. I love you and I'll see you next time. God bless you and peace be with you.